Welcome into Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Thursdays. I'm out here in the Valley of the Sun in Phoenix having a phenomenal time. Bunch of different things to hit, by the way, for Phoenix. Super Bowl on Sunday. Uh, You've got the Waste Management Open, which officially started today and is a wild party. And then late last night, the Phoenix Suns trade for Kevin Durant just in advance of the NBA trade deadline, vaulting themselves into the mix to potentially win a championship with a brand new owners, Matt and Justin Ishbia. So this is maybe, for Phoenix area sports fans, the most central that Phoenix has ever been into the American sports consciousness Super Bowl uh, with the Waste Management Open, which is fabulous, and maybe the biggest, most blockbuster trade of the entire NBA season, uh, I think probably for sure, with Kevin Durant headed out to Phoenix. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, But in particular, yesterday, huge news that I think is very important and worth discussing. Walt Disney came out with their earnings. There's been a big discussion about Ron DeSantis going after Disney for their woke Disney programming. And a lot of people said last year, what in the world is Ron DeSantis doing stepping up to Disney, stepping up to ESPN, stepping up to the biggest company basically in the state of Florida in terms of its overall cultural impact? And DeSantis came out and said, essentially, Disney needs to stay in their lane or else the state of Florida will have consequences for Disney. And remember, this all started because the state of Florida said, hey, kindergarten, first, second graders, young kids don't need to be taught sexuality-related issues, something that overwhelming majorities of parents agree with. And then Disney CEO Bob Chapek stepped in and got involved. And I can't tell you the number of people out there in the left-wing media who said, oh, this is a big misstep for Ron DeSantis. What is he doing going after Disney? This is going to blow up in his face. He's not going to win this battle. Something interesting happened. Ron DeSantis didn't just win the battle. It was a flawless victory. He won the biggest re-election in the state of Florida for a Republican ever by 19 points. Bob Chapek, the CEO of Disney who attacked him over the made-up don't-say-gay bill controversy, lost his job. And yesterday, Bob Iger, who came back to take over as CEO of Disney, had a really disappointing earnings report. Things are going so bad at Disney right now. Let me hit you with this stat because it's kind of unbelievable. $9 billion Disney has lost in streaming since they debuted Disney Plus and ESPN Plus. I'm going to get to that in a sec. $9 billion with a B. If you wonder why it's gotten so expensive to go to Disney World and take your family there, it's because they're desperately trying to paper over the losses that are coming from streaming by ratcheting up the cost so you basically can't take a family of four to Disney World anymore for less than about $1,000. They're trying to make up the money that they're losing on streaming by gouging people inside of the Disney parks. But unfortunately, a lot of people out there Bob Iger announced that Disney's going to lay off 7,000 employees and try to cut costs by $5.5 billion because the business, woke Disney, is falling apart. DeSantis not only won and got the biggest re-election in the history of the state of Florida for a Republican, the CEO who argued with him got fired, and the new CEO just had to fire 7,000 different employees and announced that they continue to lose money in streaming in a big way. This is why I've said for some time, 
been way ahead of the curve on this. For years, I have been arguing. Cable and satellite bundle collapsing was going to be destructive for ESPN. It has been. What they tried to argue in media, Disney in particular, was they said, well, 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 yeah, we're losing tens of millions of subscribers on the cable and satellite bundle for ESPN, but we're going to make it up through ESPN+. Plus." They essentially argued, hey, we've got two different boats that are floating around out at sea. Yes, the cable and satellite bundle is starting to take on water and it's starting to sink, but before it goes underwater, we're going to pull up right next to it with our very own streaming service, ESPN+, and everybody's going to exit off of the sinking ESPN cable and satellite business, and they're going to move over to streaming. It's not happening. They missed subscriber numbers, not only at Disney+, Plus but also at ESPN+. People are not signing up at the rate that they were before. In fact, they actually lost subscribers at Disney+, Plus, barely grew at ESPN+. And what's happening is both of these boats... Instead of streaming, rescuing the cable and satellite business, they're both going underwater. And it means that both are going down faster than if they had never had the streaming service in the first place. So what's the solution here? $9 billion in losses. Still haven't made any money at all off Disney+. Plus. Have lost tons of money off ESPN+. Plus. Solution now for ESPN in particular is Disney has two options. One They can stop investing to a large degree in the streaming service and slowly start to take the money out of ESPN and put it into other parts of the company at Disney. Or, what I think is probably the best move, they can spin ESPN off, either selling it or putting it out on its own, and they can get as much money for the parent Disney Corporation as they can. What I've been telling you for a long time is ESPN doesn't make sense for Disney. It's basically a renter. It rents games from the NFL from uh, the NBA, and the brand has gone full woke, and it is collapsing as a result, which makes it even harder to get people to sign up for the streaming service, which I don't believe is going to be profitable anytime soon because, and this is the thing that nobody will talk about with streaming, it's very seasonal in sports. And also, even in streaming, as all of you out there are ending up with so many different streaming services, Netflix, Amazon, Paramount, Uh, 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 all of these different Netflix, ESPN+, Disney+. Remember when they said you were going to save money without a cable and satellite subscription? A lot of you are actually paying way more and having difficulty even finding the games that you want to watch. And so what's going to happen is, what you're seeing, sports streaming in particular is very seasonal. It's relatively hard to end your cable and satellite bill or to sign up for a new one. Streaming is easy. You go in, you cut the cord on streaming. Let's say you're a big football fan. As soon as football season's over, you're out. Let's say you're a big basketball fan. As soon as basketball's over, you're out. Let's say you're just a fan of original content on Disney Plus or Netflix or Hulu or whatever it might be. You watch all of the new shows, subscribe for a couple of months, and then you're gone. And that presumes you're not sharing somebody else's password and never signing up in the first place. My point here is streaming is a disaster for Bob Iger and for Disney, and it's exacerbated in that disaster by making the decision to go woke, which is leading to Disney going broke, losing $9 billion on streaming programming and with people stopping to sign up right now, which means they're going to spend less money on new content, 
which in theory means there'll be even less demand for people out there to go sign up. This is a mess of epic proportions that Bob Iger has stepped into the middle of, and it doesn't help at all that woke programming is actually destroying the underlying Disney brands in the process. Now, I just laid all that out, I think pretty understandably for the vast majority of you. Doesn't mean that there's not people out there that are upset, that I would have the audacity to tell you what I think about the media business. I mean, after all, what do I know? I just created a business out of nothing, OutKick, that has got 20 million unique readers uh, a month now, that is producing tens of millions of video feeds, that soon will have all-day programming, kind of out of nowhere, because OutKick didn't exist before I created it. You can hate me. You can think I'm the worst human being on the earth. You'd be wrong, but you can make those decisions. What you can't do is what this clown at the LA Times said in response to me analyzing the business of Disney and ESPN. I don't even know what this guy's name is, but he tweeted. You can go look at it because I responded to him. You really don't know anything about the media business. Now, look, I don't get to work at the LA Times, a media business that is not doing very well, by the way, and has sold multiple times of late because nobody can really make money off of it. But I do host, along with Buck Sexton, the biggest radio show in the country. I do regularly appear on Fox News, the most popular cable channel in America. I do regularly go on the road and appear on Fox Sports programming surrounding the biggest sporting events in the country. And I did sell OutKick last year to Fox for a sum of money that is so substantial, I never have to work again, and I'm now fabulously wealthy. Now look, I'm not the kind of guy to brag or draw attention to myself. You guys know that's not me. It's not what I'm about. But I think all of that evidence would suggest that maybe I understand the media business just a little bit. And in fact, if you want to go read Republicans by Sneakers 2, you can even see me years ago laying out exactly what was happening to Disney and ESPN and why it was a disaster. And if you want to go even further back, you can read me laying out all of these facts and all of these details as it pertains to the media business and ESPN and Disney being in trouble long before anybody else was even recognizing that cord cutting was an existential threat to the media business itself. Or you can go be a stooge at a major newspaper that's in danger of going out of business at any point, and you can go online and lecture people that they don't understand about business. We'll be right back. Got to take a little break here. We are rolling without kicking. You don't want to miss a moment. Stay tuned. You can do or you can tweet. Oftentimes, those aren't the same things at all. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She heckled Joe Biden during his speech and called him a liar. James Carville, whose book I've bought before and who I respected for the work he did as a campaign consultant in 1992 and 1996, married Mary Matlin, who's a Republican, went on MSNBC and said that Marjorie Taylor Greene was white trash and that she dressed like white trash. Now, if you think about the trajectory of the Democrat Party in America, from a party that represented the working class all over the country to a party that is now dominated by the woke white uh, college-educated elite community that looks down on everybody, I'm not sure there's a better distillation of that transition than James Carville, who helped Bill Clinton get a lot of poor white trash to vote for the Democrat Party in 1992 and 1996, 
Arkansas, Tennessee, my hometown. A lot of SEC fans voted for Bill Clinton in 1992 and 1996 that now are overwhelmingly in the Republican camp. Why is that? Why did that occur? Because of comments like these. You can disagree with Marjorie Taylor Greene on a lot of things. I I think that's 100% fair game. I'm not concerned about the decorum inside the State of the Union because when you have tons of people constantly interrupting the speech to stand up and scream and cheer for what the president says, why can you not also have people who react and disagree with what the president says? Why is it only acceptable to interrupt the speech to celebrate as opposed to oppose what the president is saying? Just a question for everybody out there. Also, if you look at the history of parliaments across the world, in particular the British Parliament, this has been commonplace for hundreds of years to disagree with the Prime Minister when he comes in to speak. But if you want to take issue with Marjorie Taylor Greene, that's your right. You can attack her policies. You can attack her political beliefs. You can even attack her behavior. But to say, as James Carville did, that she is white trash and she dresses like white trash is evidence of why Democrats are losing people who work for a living in America of all races. People who get dirt underneath their fingernails. People who have to work in manufacturing. The so-called blue-collar jobs out there. They are looked down on by the white, woke, glitterati of the current Democrat Party. And as a result, there is a coalition building that I believe can explode in 2024. White, black, Asian, Hispanic, people who work for a living, including, yes, white trash. Because, you know, the phrase that is also included in white trash with James Carville is usually it's poor white trash, right? Which is judging someone based on their economic condition. And as someone who grew up in the South and has been poor, there's a lot of people out there who have been poor white trash at some point and looked down on by people like James Carville because they aren't as wealthy or well-educated and haven't had the same advantages that people like James Carville going on MSNBC have. And you know who represents a lot of those people? In northern Georgia in particular, Marjorie Taylor Greene. There's a lot of poor white trash that are voting in the 2024 election. And a lot of those people used to vote for Democrats before they got looked down on and denigrated and disrespected. And I think James Carville's attack on Marjorie Taylor Greene, based on her appearance and based on what she was wearing, is evidence of the Democrat Party losing its way. Um, Big tech collusion. Big hearings yesterday on Twitter. Continued hearings. This is why winning the House was such a big deal. I think there's a lot of good focus out there. But I talked about this to start Clay and Buck, the radio show that I just finished earlier today. Started off my show talking about this. We have to make sure that we recognize the difference between the Stooges and the Puppet Masters. Okay? Right now, there's a lot of focus on random people at Twitter, random people at Facebook, who made editorial decisions on censorship that frankly are indefensible. And I understand why people are angry at them. And I do think that those policies have to change. I'm hopeful that Elon Musk taking over Twitter, Donald Trump being able to come back on Facebook, that the tide is starting to swing in the opposite direction. I'm hopeful for that. But we have to remember 
that the Twitter and Facebook employees are far down the list of who created big tech rig jobs associated with the Hunter Biden laptop, with the New York Post story, and the 2020 election. That's why I want to always bring this conversation back to the FBI itself. The FBI has had Hunter Biden's laptop since December of 2019. They 100% knew almost immediately that it was real, that it was authentic, and that it was not a product of Russian disinformation. Yet in October of 2020, because they had Rudy Giuliani under surveillance, by the way, they later determined that there were no criminal charges for Rudy Giuliani. So that was a trumped-up opportunity, I think, to surveil the Trump campaign in some ways. They knew that Rudy Giuliani had his own copy of the Hunter Biden laptop, and they knew that he was talking with different media figures out there in an effort to get the story written. The day before the New York Times story dropped, they went and briefed, the FBI did, all these big tech companies to let them know that there was a Hunter Biden laptop disinformation campaign underway and they should be aware that it was in danger of landing on their doorstep. That's why Twitter and Facebook and all the big tech companies immediately acted to restrict the distribution of this story. And that is also why that is the essence of what should be focused on. Who knew at the FBI that that laptop was real based on the fact that the FBI had it, and who also knew and encouraged for there to be these briefings given to the big tech companies suggesting that the laptop was Russian disinformation. Somebody was the puppet master inside of the FBI acting to rig the 2020 election. Who was that person or who was that group of people? That's where the focus, in my opinion, on this Uh, election interference cycle of 2020 should be on in the House of uh, Representatives. I understand the anger at Twitter. I understand the anger at Facebook. I understand the anger on their arrogant employees who use their own judgment to help censor so many stories and artificially distorted the marketplace of ideas inside of these big tech companies. That created what I believe is a rigged job involving big tech, Democrat Party, uh, and the FBI. But what needs to be focused on is whom inside the FBI created that rig job. Who made the decision? Who ordered the code red? Who was the puppet master? That's where we need to go. Because as we come up on 2024, do you trust the FBI and the people who rigged the 2020 election not to do so again? I don't. Those are the people who should be facing criminal charges. Those are the people who should be handcuffed and walked outside of the FBI for what they did to rig the 2020 election. Yes, Twitter, Facebook, I'm fired up about it. But somebody at the Puppet Master, somebody ordered the code red, who did it at the FBI, that's the question we need to know the answer about. Who had all this information and still created the rig job? Finally, uh, I've got so many different shows that I'm doing right now. I'm running around like crazy. I'll be on Fox News a great deal. Uh, as we get ready for the Super Bowl. Reminder, I told you I'm going to give it to you every single day. I'll talk about it again tomorrow. I'm on the Chiefs and the under in this game. I think the Chiefs win outright, and I think the under hits 24-20, something like that is my prediction for the Chiefs to get the win. But I want to give credit to everybody out in Phoenix over Kevin Durant joining the Phoenix Suns out of nowhere. You talk about a major storyline and shift in the odds maker perspective. Right now, as I am looking right now, 
in real time at the overall NBA championship odds. Celtics are the favorite, followed by the Bucks, and then out of nowhere come the Phoenix Suns with the NBA trade deadline officially done and now complete. Celtics, Bucks, Suns, Nuggets, Clippers, 76ers, Warriors, Grizz, Mavericks, Cavs, Pelicans, Miami Heat. Lakers are all the way down at 55 to 1 as everything is now set for the stretch run of the NBA season. Appreciate all of you hanging out with me. I hope you have fantastic Thursday back with Joe on Friday. Buck's on his honeymoon, so I've got Clay and Buck solo on Friday. We should have a good time tomorrow. As always, DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. I am Clay Travis, and this has been Outkick the Show.